Good day. Good day. Witch Car Weekly, episode number 24. Thank you for joining us once again. My name is Daniel Gardner. You join me on a very, very frosty day, but I'm huddled in a very small space with two hot people. They are hot in both visual sense and also the physical sense. Spicy. Uh, and it is my pleasure to introduce Scotty Newman, associate editor of Motor Magazine. Bonjour. As well as returning once again to the Witch Car Weekly Fold, Cameron Kirby, writer at Wheels Magazine. Rock and roll. Nice to be here. Um, we have plenty to talk about. I am genuinely excited about this week's chat, gentlemen, as I always am, but this week particularly so. Mm. Um, we've got some very exciting topics to uh, to cover, including law enforcement cameras gone nuts and the dawn of a new supercar era potentially powered by the mule. That's mm. not quite as obscure as it sounds, but I'd like that thought. No to just donkeys hang. will be hurt in the making of this podcast. There's got to be some kind of joke with horsepower and mules, but um, I didn't think hard enough about it. So <laughs> let us te- let us tell you all what we what we mean by the mule in a bit. First of all, uh, we'd like to talk about there's, a, there's something that came up in the news this week, and it's it's always generates a bit of conversation uh, whenever we mention <clears throat> speeding and the measures that the good people at the police force. Um, imply to catch us. Uh, now, speed cameras, we all know about them. We all love them for their work in the community. Uh, but Road um, safety cameras. Road safety cameras, yes. Ugh. Or revenue raisers, as we often like to call them. There's a, a trial they're doing in Sydney using cameras to catch people on their phone, which is something that I think I can speak for all of us here, is a great cause. Fantastic. Um, if you can get mm. people off their phones while driving, fantastic, and people should be punished for doing that because it is utterly stupid. Amen. But there's been an incident recently where uh, one Sydney driver has been fined for her passenger using a phone. Now, you heard me correctly. Someone sat in the front passenger seat while the person driving has nothing to do with their phone. And they have been stung with a fine by one of these cameras that uh, can observe you using phones. The reason for it, apparently, is um, that... They okay, so the rule is apparently drive vehicle with TV slash VDU image likely to distract. So you don't have to even have the phone in your hand, it, it appears to be done by the mobile phone while driving law. This, so I've seen this story, but it's a legitimate story. Like they were, do we know they were fined? Yes, so I've, I've wrote a story about this today. Okay, I've, good. Done, I've done all my research. Tell me, Cam. So He's good value. <laughs> That's not the only reason he's here. No. He's good. Not just because we're talking about cameras and his name's Cam. Yes. Oh, terrible. Oh, please improve the <laughs> I've of never your heard that one before. <laughs> uh, yes. So her passenger was using a video call app. So she was doing a video chat in the front passenger. Okay, like FaceTime or something. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Right. I just wanted, didn't want to check the brand names out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this isn't the I BBC. Was, I was actually thinking then, God, that was really pro-cam. Good on you for doing that. And then Scott just weighs in. <laughs> uh, yes, so she was using this in the front passenger Royalty seat. check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Thank, thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, and so she's been done with this... this uh, fine but there's there's two different versions of the same thing so she's got actually let off lightly she got with the likely to distract another driver which is $337 no demerit points the same worded fine that says likely to distract the driver is $337 and three demerit points and a guy in April got done because his front passenger was using a laptop to work and he got pulled over by the police and got given this other version of the fine so, so it can so be worse. I, I've zoned out for a minute. Um, 
Awesome. So all we ask <laughs> of what was the, uh, all all we we other fine? 30 minutes Both. every week is all we ask of you, and you can't even commit to that. <laughs> Look. Both the same amount in money, three hundred and thirty-seven dollars. Oh, points. No points. Yep. This this uh, this lady. Three points. Yeah, three right, points okay. if you're distracting the driver. No points for distracting another driver. Um, I don't understand the difference and why one got one and one got the other. I've cl- tried to clarify this with New South Wales Police. They haven't got back to me yet. But this makes no sense. It, exactly. I was doing the same frown. It makes no sense at all. So. Where do you draw the line? Yeah, like, the birds stop flying. That's like it's a distraction. Yeah. Now you can go fully hyperbol- hyperbolic on this and say, you know, anything outside the car or within the car, for that matter, noisy children in the back. These are all distractions that are just as bad, if not a lot worse, yeah. than someone doing. Even like sat nav instructions. Fifteen-inch infotainment screens. Yeah. Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. There's plenty of things. Now, why? I don't know. Okay, I, I can be the the good old skeptic again and just say, well, this is, this is is revenue raising. It's a very easy thing to police, and that's why they can um they can make the law and it's very easy to stick to but is this a new law like I... no so it's it's a law that's been around for quite a while i've never heard of it before. so never it's heard of any being stung by it it's designed to prevent you know back in the day in the mid 2000s when everyone was getting portable dvd players yeah yep. it was it was introduced around that <clears throat> sort of time excuse me to prevent people putting portable dvd players on the dash okay, and watching sure. a yep. screen so it's an it's an old law it's a great idea. I'm gonna do that. um that is vaguely worded that has not been adapted for the modern era where we now have mini cinemas in our pocket. Yeah. yeah. Um, and has been taken by the New South Wales police while they are trying to police really heavily phone use. So they're, they're making an example of these people, essentially. And coincidentally, it also happens to be a really good source of cash. Right. Yes. So my main argument and my bugbear with this is that when you drive along any given main road, particularly near the metropolitan centres... There are enormous LED billboards now, which are effectively bloody huge screens. And at night, they're so bright. They're really bright. They have moving images on them. They can change the adverts. They are incredibly distracting. And if you did a comparison of the actual size of the screen relative to that one in the passenger's hand, an illuminated billboard outside the car is much bigger and therefore, I argue, a far greater distraction. Now, I did a little bit more reading on this. Uh, actually, a- about a year ago, I was talking to um, the Monash University Accident Research Centre, or MARC. That rolls off the tongue. It does, doesn't it? It's probably just better to say Monash University Accident Research Centre. Uh, they conducted some really interesting research and a study into how much drivers are distracted by... Um, advertising on the hmm. side of the road. Mm. And I initially went for the jugular because I argue that it's a massive distraction. But what they actually found was precisely the opposite, is that what drivers are very good, this study found, at doing, is adapting. Is that when the road is clear ahead and there's very little traffic on the road, drivers are naturally very distracted by the advertising or anything else for that matter. Mm -hmm. But when there's a lot going on where they need to divert their attention to other things, drivers are very good at switching off of the advertising or anything else, screaming children, or the passenger next to you on a phone and focusing on the job of driving. Research shows it. So this law needs to be changed because it's shown that it actually doesn't make a difference. Yeah. It's almost like people will drive to the conditions. Totally. Yeah. It's like if the, no matter what the speed limit is, like if it's 40 k's an hour, people will get bored and further distracted. Whereas it's if it's not 40 k's an hour, they will focus on what they're doing, which is surely a far better series of events. I, I've said it before and I will say it again. During my time on the Nürburgring, I didn't once check my phone. Because yes. I would, I knew full well I would be dead instantly if I did that. When you right. when you are focused on the job, you do the right thing most of the time. I think that's right. Um, but like I'm still hung up on this because I just <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how anyone 
anyone polices it with a straight face. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... it's you know, well, they, that's the thing. They don't have to. It's the camera that's done it. So oh. that's, that's why this is so easy for them to do. This. They just look at the footage and go, yeah, that ticks all the boxes. Fine in the post. And there isn't a police officer stood next to the car going, I can't believe I'm saying this, but by the way, I'm stitching you. I just you don't know? see how it yeah. holds up in court. Like, so this is this is the thing. A, a while back, I did a similar investigation to what uh, Dan's talking about, talking about mobile phone use. It's a fuck. It's a pa- probably bad. <laughs> uh, huh? Yeah. It's a, it's a pandemic in Australia. Uh, and I talked to a road like lawyer. He, he deals with traffic fines and he's caught dealing with these all the time. And he said these cameras have a massive issue because they're not smart enough to tell the difference between a large sunglass case mm. and a phone in a hand. Yeah. Well, clearly enough, well, well, I suppose they or, are smart or, enough to tell the difference between a passenger and a driver, but why does it matter? Like, you know, whenever we go anywhere, it's like, I don't want to use my phone to, like, say the car doesn't have nav or it's not plugged in or whatever, like, okay, my passenger will do the nav for yeah, me. Yeah, that's yeah. the safe thing to do. Yes. Mm. But that's illegal now, is it? And how many times have you been on a launch where you have to get a story written and your co-driver is driving, another journalist from another yeah. publication, and you're sat in a passenger seat writing the story? So now you're going to have to leave them on the side of the road. Or just not That'd be great. do our Excellent. jobs. So, so, you can, so <laughs> this, this software, the technology can't tell the difference between a phone or a, or a um, uh, glasses case. So what I'm going to do then is I'm going to get a phone case that's got a zip on it and it says Ray-Ban. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Problem solved. That's right. There was a guy in America that trolled the police. He he made cookies shaped like iPhones and iced uh, them to yes. look like iPhones oh, and walked around with, with cookies in, up yeah. to his ear <laughs> and in his hand. But that's, I mean, that's a, the, the, to, it's still legal as far as I'm aware to smoke while you're driving. Yes, 100%. That yeah. is an, a massive, that is massively more distracting, arguably, uh, than absolutely. even a, even a like, phone is terrible, but to have like a flaming stick in your hand, which yeah. is dropping hash, yeah. hash on you, equally like... You know, we all do it, and maybe we shouldn't, but eat while you're driving. Good old Jeremy Clarkson said, you know, the yeah. most dangerous thing he ever does while driving is kneading a wee really badly. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. such a good point. When I we, know. Was, where's the technology that checks for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't that drink coffee, but I'm sure you guys do. Having a hot coffee that you go over a bump and it spills, how yeah. distracted are you then? Exactly right. And it's... even worse with a beer in your hand. Okay, that's <laughs> not okay. That we do not condone that. It is over-policing. It's better to have man. a bottle of vodka because you can see straight through it. So we're talking about these are, these are cameras that catch visual things going yeah. on what about a camera that je- which takes a picture of a car when it's doing something like audibly wrong this is yes oh. this is a reality as well a UK, UK trial you UK trial about your flatulence is, against Dan yeah. <laughs> Scully how dare you at least I can I can put it off for 30 minutes each week <laughs> Um, a trial in the UK looks to be going ahead, which uh, has sound or noise cameras, which is an in inverted comma because obviously a noise camera is a microphone. It's what we're using right now. Uh, but no, this technology measures the the noise levels, decibels of cars passing, and if they're making too far over the limit of what's legally allowed, they take a picture of your car and you get fined. So not only you know can you not use the phone, can you not go too fast, you now it can't make too much noise. This is this, it makes me. You sad. know who's come up with this? It's the people who buy a house because it's cheap next to a racetrack and then go, oh, these cars are noisy, yeah, aren't they? Is, isn't we it? should yeah. shut that racetrack down. Poor Lakeside, yeah. which is <laughs> facing closure under these huge fines because yeah. I want to use lots of expletives, but you can insert, insert your own. Yep. Oh, God, it makes me furious. Like, oh, something's impeding the, the slightest amount on my life, which I made this problem for myself. Therefore, I'm going to kill everyone else's fun. <laughs> I don't want to sidetrack it with a non-automotive topic, but there was a case a few years back in the UK, um, a place that I like to call England. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, this couple moved to a beautiful, quaint, postcard English country village. And 
Honestly, honestly, not making this up. They complained about the church bells. Oh, really? Oh, no. And they got them silenced. They actually they actually stood up and they said noise pollution and they got the church bells silenced. I, I mean, actually, I want to add that. It's, I think I read this in regards to the lakeside thing. There had been complaints to the council out in the country about the cows mooing. <laughs> Come on. No, serious. <laughs> These people are terrible and need to be walking to the ocean. Yes. And yeah, never and come keep back. going. Yeah. yeah, take a long walk of a short pier. But it's just, it's okay. We'll bring it back to automotive because it is interesting that we talked about this off air, Dan. Is that why is this a problem? Because all the cars have to pass ADRs or whatever the relevant noise legislation is to make sure they're not too loud. So therefore, they won't be too loud, will they? It's it's probably to target people like myself and Tony O'Kane who have put exhausts on our vehicles that are very loud. <laughs> yes, or just. That is not an admission of guilt, I should <laughs> No. Statute of limitations? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, the reason they can do that is because you ever hear a C63 go past, for instance, and go, wow, that sounds amazing. It's so loud. How does it ever work? Because there's, you know, some pretty gaping loopholes in the ADR things, and you can sort of trick them, trick the microphones into how you get past it, so you can basically idle past it in seventh gear at mm. no RPM in comfort mode with all the exhaust flaps. And then you stick it in race mode, which you want to do all the time, and drive around making an awful racket. So that's why it can be an issue. Don't automatically think that because you have a nice new car that you would be safe. It's a similar issue to what the GT500 is facing in California because they have mm-hmm. very strict noise regulations over there and mm. they're having to chuck a million mufflers into that thing to try and meet compl- local regulations. It's very sad. It's like putting a beautiful animal in a cage. It's just a sad state of affairs. Like Everyone's so far up their own rear end yeah. that oh, if something's going to affect me in the slight... It's like people you watch people at the supermarket. And speaking of flatulence, um, how is it that a Harley Davidson is allowed oh, yes. to make your ears bleed <laughs> from the other hemisphere and yet a C63 is potentially in... Uh, jeopardy of you know you know what how is it motorbikes get away with absolute audible murder and i don't mind i like noisy things as long as they make the right noise and i'm t- looking at you count your <laughs> motorbike with its insanity exhaust on it makes a good sound harley davidson's just sound like wheeled flatulence if i could give a motorcyclist standpoint on the noise it's usually meant as a safety thing it's, th- it's my justification for my loud exhaust no it's great <laughs> all you have to do is you have a quiet motorbike and you just ride around everywhere going ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, people hear you coming on the Harley front I don't know motorcyclists don't know those guys live in a different world where they're either game enough to just do it and break the law or the coppers just can't be bothered <laughs> Once again, all the problems of the world solved by Witch Car Weekly. I want to move on and talk about a different topic now, gentlemen. Um, this is also something that's sparked by a conversation that Scotty and I are having recently out of hours. Mm. Extracurricular. Um, and we want to talk about the mule. Yep. Scottles. I really, really want to do a mule impersonation, but I don't actually know what a mule sounds like. Uh, like let's research donkey? this and we can, we can do a, a yeah. brief sort of camera. We'll get our audio time. engineer to insert mule here. <laughs> Um, So in automotive land, a mule is basically a development prototype. It's usually a Frankenstein's monster of a thing that, you know, when they've come up with an idea for a car and they need to make sure that the idea roughly works, they'll cobble cobble together whatever they have in the workshop into a vaguely running prototype and go, oh, hey, this this has legs, not literal legs, because then it would be actually a mule. It has has wheels. Uh, I'm probably confusing all the listeners here. Um, (laughs) 
but yeah, so it's basically a development prototype. It's an early development prototype before that actually looks like the car it's meant to be going to look like. Mm. And there's lots and lots and lots of juicy versions out there to varying degrees of production readiness. Um, it started, the the idea started because I wrote about a car this week. Um, I listened to a po- another podcast that... Uh, oh, was, you traitor. I know. Naughty. That was talking about the development mule, engine development mule for the McLaren F1. Obviously had a BMW engine in it. Fantastic engine. Was an E34 M5 Touring. So cool. Which is wow. unbelievably so cool. Like an E35 M5 Touring is unbelievably cool in and of itself. The last hand-built M car. Less than 900 produced. You saw one of those, you go, wow, that's awesome. But to have one of those with 461 kilowatts of V12 in it would be just amazing. Ultimate engine swap. Ultimate tyre shredder. Well, it's funny, this leads nicely into one of my favourite mules, um, which is, have you ever heard of Albert and Edward? No. No. These were two prototypes that were the mules for the actual F1. Ah, oh. um, and they used a British kit car called the Ultima. Ultima. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. I didn't know they had so, names. Yeah, wow. Albert Edward numbers twelve and thirteen, the oh. prototypes for the F one, and one of them was desi- was um, necessary to test the gearbox, and the other one was testing the engine. So ah. it was the Ultima Ultima, which is a kit, this kit car that people have put like Jaguar V twelves in over the years and whatever. So McLaren came along and said, "We're just going to perfect your kit car," <laughs> yeah. and they bunged the um, six point one. See, that's the great thing about this M five thing. It's like. Because a lot of the and a great thing about the mule is a lot of them aren't necessarily even scheduled for production. Like, yeah. like you say, they had an engine development mule which had the engine in the right place. To mm. test. So it essentially leads to the conclusion that somebody put the F1 engine in their E34 because they wanted to. Yeah, mm. <laughs> which there was is fantastic. An, there's an engineer that was like, "This is going to be yeah. a great day at work." Yeah, <laughs> there with a tape measure and going, you know, oh, I think this will fit. And I actually have a couple of other examples of um, yes, on a more local level. Uh, so I hear a little birdie told me that. They built an XR6, a modern XR6, like an FG, I think it was. It might have been a BA, oh, so BF. Um, basically, an XR6 Superleggera. So they pulled 400 kilograms out of a wow. Ford what? Falcon. How? I don't know. It must have had nothing in it. It was like but, a um, single-seater. But you think about that. Like, it would have been, like, okay, so it had a decent power output. The normal barra was 195, 200 kilowatts. In a car that would have only weighed 1,200 kilos. Wow. It would have been fantastic. That would um, be amazing. Another one was a BF Ute with an all-wheel drive diesel territory. Presumably it was a diesel territory mule, I suppose, but they used a BF Ute. I heard, I think, that uh, they have a GTS engine, like, crewman down at Holden. Yeah, um, they do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the... I mean, I remember we went down to the um, Yuyangs for uh, GTF, the FPV GTF yeah, prototypes. Yeah. We drove them down there. And they had all these, um, like... They were supposed to have been Everest mules or something. Um, they were sort of chopped up ranges yes. with weird looking hunchbacks oh, on them. I remember them when the spy like, shots yeah. came Short wheelbase. They might have even been Bronco mules. Mm. Whoops. <clears throat> um, that probably shouldn't have been running around on the day, but <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of examples. I think, Cam, you came up with a couple. Oh, I have some favourites. On the, on the local angle, uh, GM went and took a Holden Ute and used it as the mule for the mid-engine Corvette, which is coming out very soon. The mid-engine yeah. Corvette should be just that. should be just a VF SSV redline ute with the engine in the tray. Isn't it, doesn't it give you that lovely sense of smugness that when, when the Americans come out and talk about you know this being one of the most profoundly US car ever made, you're like, it actually started in Australia. Australia. Yeah. yeah. It's this, and, and the photos of it are so weird because it's this aerial shot. It has a C7 Corvette uh, like cabin with lowered and widened Holden VE ute tray in yeah. front, and, it, and it's got these giant exhausts that come out 
of the tray, and this oh, sorry, I've tapped that, uh, and this giant fixed wing, and it's just so so cool. It's, I love that. I love looking at it because often these mules are sacrifice all aesthetics for yeah, yeah, for the sake 100%. of technology. But in doing so, they but, look amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And the Ute is the classic example. It looks so badass. Or the um, the the Cullinan prototype, which was when that first, they were talking oh, yeah. about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Cullinan, you can make up your own mind. That's probably not the most beautiful thing going around. But the original prototype was a jacked up phantom with a GT wing on the back. And it's just like... You look at it and go, oh, well, they're finished. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> that's release that. That's amazing. I'll buy that. <laughs> that. That's the spec I would have yeah, my Phantom in. <laughs> the sad thing, though, is while we're talking about how much we like these cars, is they often come to a very sad end. Yeah, yeah. crushed. Because the car makers, respectively, don't want them sticking around mm. and tainting the reputation of the end product. And certainly that was the case with the McLaren F1 prototypes. Mm. Both those cars were crushed. Specifically because McLaren didn't want any association of a kit car with yeah. their finished product mm. and you can totally understand that can't you yeah. like, it just makes you go oh, although it must be like BMW is actually good with sh- keeping very their, good Yeah, they've got an E36 M3 compact they've got their E31 M8 which just apparently was taught in my information just sat like forgotten in a corner of the warehouse they've got for... an E32 7 series with a V16 engine oh, in it. Yeah. yeah and a manual gearbox yeah I know and, it's and radiators in the, in the, in in the, the back. back yeah Oh, what? Because there was no room left on the That was after many, many steins. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might have hit the schnapps. That was that the Oktoberfest special. <laughs> one of one of my favourites that didn't make the crusher, just very quickly, is McLaren's Porsche that had an F1 engine in the back Oh, of it. yes, that one. The, oh, do tell. Yeah, Tag Heuer were one, building yeah. uh, an engine for one of their F1 cars, and so they needed to test it. They didn't want to build an F1 car, so they put it in the back of a 911 and ran around to just sort of run it in. Come yeah. on. So it's a 930 turbo with the 1.5 litre Porsche V6 with, you know, up to 1,500 horsepower. Oh, and and then I it, think they're going to make a couple yes, of Yes, Lanzanti are making yeah. a production run of them with those engines that actually raced in Grand Prix and won races and won podiums. Oh. <laughs> I mean, and so this For a million dollars. And there's good examples of this is once again, you talk about the trickle down from racing into road car and mm. that sometimes it's very difficult to tell the difference when it's actually at the, at the grassroots. Um, you had another good example of, a, I think Ferrari did something really interesting with their prototyping and it was a very strategic and tactical move. Yes. So Ferrari have their XX program, which is their crazy track only stuff. And so they were going to build the La Ferrari based one, which is the FXXK. And so they built the mule for this out of a 458 Speciale, which was stretched and widened. It looked very much like a Hennessy Venom 458 version, if you kind of imagine that. And so many people fell for it and misinterpreted what they were doing. They thought they were going to enter LMP1 and go to Le Mans because it looked like such a hardcore racer. Turned out it was a track day toy for billionaires. With too many letters in its name. Yes. But uh, there were many, many outlets that saw this car and were like, Ferrari to enter Le Mans. (laughs) Confirmed. But interestingly, there have been some regulation changes for the Le Mans 24-hour race, which means Ferrari might actually end up entering Le Mans. Yes. our best segue yet, I think. It was nice, wasn't it? Yeah. Flawless. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> no, um, tell us about these regulations. Yes. So uh, they start in 2020. The first iteration at Le Mans will be 2021 because Le Mans running a funny schedule. Uh, so it's called Hypercar Regs is the short version of it. So LMP1, uh, which are all prototypes, they're million million dollar cars uh, now have to have 20 road going versions that are sold by the car company so welcome back to the era of the homologation special yay <laughs> this is such great news isn't it? yeah so confirmed so far are Aston Martin and Toyota so Toyota are going to take their LMP1 engine and hybrid system and put it in a road car and sell it 
So it's going to be the same engine, just in a different body. That's so cool. Uh, it's very, very cool. And and Aston Martin are going to turn the Valkyrie into a race car. Which isn't going to take a lot. I mean, it already is, is. really. And Brabham are with sniffing headlights. around with the BT62 as well, aren't they're they? They're thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, we don't know whether they're going to GTE or if they're going to go yeah, to Hyper Yeah, GTE would more sense, wouldn't it? Because they'd have to hybridise probably the system then that would get expensive. The best thing about the Valkyrie is it's got a 6.5 litre naturally aspirated V12, mm. which the race car will have to have, which mm. means Atmo, V12 goodness, Atlas Arth, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be outrageous. <laughs> and this is going to make all the other manufacturers go, oh, well, it's a bit quiet, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a bit electric yeah, and well, a bit I mean, silent. What are we going to do to beat the Aston? Yeah. That's just pulling a crowd. I mean, if you go to oh, any, it's gonna be any of the GT races, you know, everyone just loves the Bentleys because yeah. they're so badass. They sound like warplanes. Yeah, they the Corvettes do, they do. And yeah. people turn up at a GT race and just instantly become Bentley fans because of the cars are just so, so attractive and wonderful. That's exactly what's going to happen at Le Mans. Yes. Aston's going to be king for a while. And there's going to be a few more manufacturers coming. We've been told by a secret birdie that Porsche might be considering entering. But the way they're going to do it is very interesting. So... Porsche stopped their LMP1 program, which was very successful, but they did not lay off a single person. No one that was involved in that program lost their job. They were all moved to a different secret project, which was to build an engine to evaluate Porsche entering F1, which is 1.6-litre hybrid V6 engines. But it came with a special caveat. The engine had to be able to be applied to a road car. So Porsche have actually built and still have an engine that meets current F1 regulations, which also can be put into a road car. Sounds a lot like Mercedes to me. Yes, and it sounds a lot like it would fit perfectly into these new hypercar regulations. That is genius, isn't it? See, Porsche is very clever at doing this. They did it with the Carrera GT. The engine in that was derived from a shelved F1 project. Yes. Yep. And and that came around. They just were like, we've got this engine. It's got too many man person hours in (laughs) it. Thank you, Scott. New person. Um, And yeah, so what can we do with it? And this, but this is incredible foresight by Porsche. Yeah, it was very smart for them to go. We're not gonna spend all this time just for it to disappear and it's also very smart of them to not get rid of their LMP1 engineers I mean they had just a very dominant 919 car to then take that brain power and put it into a new thing and hopefully it means they come back to Le Mans it's particularly important because whenever you look back at the golden era of racing whatever racing series it is uh, whatever era it is, it's always been homologation mm. era, which is the best. And then this takes us back to basically late 90s GT1, where you had CLK GTR, Nissan R390, Toyota GT1, 911 GT1, all, McLaren F1 GTR long tail. Like, all these cars had to be homologated. Thankfully, the regs require 20 now. I think back then they only needed to make one or three two. or two. Two, there you go. Split the, split the difference. Um, it's hardly worth homologating. Which made it irrelevant, really. Yeah. You know. um, but they 20s, had some great cheats, though. Yeah, yes, exactly. But And, you know, they presumably they won't be able to cheat these days. Like, there's a good story back in the day of when they had to build, I think it was like 200 mm. prototypes. It might have been Ferrari or Lancia. I think it must have been Lancia. Lancia. They lined up 100 went to lunch and came back and told them it was a different hundred, but it was actually the same. <laughs> it was actually the same. So they didn't actually make any of the cars I meant to. Um, presumably <laughs> that... W- for it? Was there a lot of grappo? I, uh, I think it was a very long, boozy Italian lunch. <laughs> yes. Um, so presumably they will actually have to make 20, and okay, they'll only go to the world's most extreme billionaires, but... But at least they will be made. Yeah, yes. and, and the best thing about that is, is you're, you're introducing a vital step between racing and road car production, yes, yes. which makes that technology a bit closer to the kind of vehicles that mere mortals like you and I can buy. And much easier to market. 
Totally. That's what's so exciting about this for me. It's not about building a car that's going to cost $4 million. Mm-hmm. It's building a car that will conceive more affordable versions, which are really not that far off the pace. Yes. Yes. Two two quick notes from me. The interesting bit about the regulations, those uh, the front axle of the race car has to be identical to the production car. It has to be a production item. Oh. So those 20 mm. cars have to have that race car front mm-hmm. axle in it. Race car has to have the road car front axle. Second point is in the mid... Uh, to late 1990s when we're talking about GT1. I just want to geek out a little bit on my favourite cheat in uh, motorsport. We, lo- we love it when you geek out. You don't, please, you know, just go for it. Toyota GT1. Yes. They realised that there was this loophole in homologation that oh, they yes. only needed to be, be, build one. There was also a bit in the regulations that said the cars had to have a space for luggage, a standard-sized suitcase. Mercedes had got around this by saying, oh, this bit in the diffuser, you could put a suitcase in there. <laughs> um, so Toyota have gone, that's a good effort. Hold my beer. I'm going to take it to another level. So they built one road version of their GT1, took it to the uh, regulators and, and the FIA and said, look, it's built. And they said, where do you put the luggage? You can fit one in the fuel tank. <laughs> there is space in the fuel tank for compartment for, for for luggage when it is empty. Therefore, we have a luggage area. That's, that's no less absurd than the one of you know stuffing no. in a diffuser, isn't it? Really. And none of the quick data I've actually set in that GT1 road. Oh, oh, that is that fine is one up, Yeah, that is it. That's yeah. Scotty's pulled rank. That's where we have to pull. And you know what? Real, I'll, I'll finish on a really sad note. Is when I asked them, I'm like, what's it like? I don't. We don't think it even works anymore. It hasn't moved. In, <gasps> in that's years. I'm so awful. Sad. And there didn't seem to be any real. Design to make it move again. Why? I know. Let's go. All right, like the Animal Liberation Front. Yes. Let's go yes. and get all, all our red gear on, and we're going to break in, and we're going to liberate the GT1. Yeah. What do we Let's want? Do it. Freedom and race cars. When do we want it? Sometime as soon as we can arrange <laughs> flights to, to <laughs> Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, a wonderful point to wind up proceedings this week. Uh, you won't hear from me next week. I will be somewhere in Europe. Germany, and I'll be back to tell you all of the things I'm getting up to. You can there. liberate the GT1 where you there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> get on it. I I've arranged it all on my phone. I'm very efficient like that. Um, Scotty Newman and Cameron Kirby, thank you very much for joining me on Witch Car Weekly. Uh, join us again next week for all of the top, hot topics. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to stay in touch with us because you simply can't bear to be without our voices, I totally understand that. Witchcar.com.au is the place to go where you'll find all our social media channels. And if you wander into a post office or, a, no, not a post office, a news agent, that's the thing I was looking for, you can pick up a mag. Thank you very much for listening.